Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you uh, that you have brought us out of darkness um, into the kingdom of the light of your Son, that glorious kingdom. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for bringing us together as brothers and sisters, um, bravely um, battling away for Christ. And we pray that you would lift our hearts this morning and strengthen us for the fight, that we might fight the sin, sin in the world, the devil, that we might look forward to that beautiful time of triumph and consummation of the kingdom to come. We pray you'd strengthen us for that, for gospel service in the interim. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, what does your wallet have to do with uh, your approach to Christian ministry? We have uh, phrases like money talks, put your money where your mouth is, uh, and so it's fair to ask the question, what does your wallet have to do with your ministry? And in fact, it's a, a reasonably timely question too. And I say timely uh, because we only have to open the pages of the Australian newspapers of the last week to see Christian ministers being accused of using money in ways that would, quote, uh, would embarrass a Kardashian. In the passage this morning, the Apostle Paul talks about money and ministry. Or more specifically, he talks about the right to receive monetary support and the freedom to forego it. And we'll cover those two points, the right and the freedom in due course. But to make sense of why he's talking about these two things, we've got to remember something basic, uh, that chapters and verses were not in the original text of the letter. In other words, He's just been talking about rights and freedom with respect to food sacrificed to temple idols. And now he turns to rights and freedom with respect to money and ministry. And he turns to this subject because he's got a problem. In verse 3, he says, This is my defence to those who sit in judgment on me. Now, to be honest, I'm not entirely sure what the accusation is. But it seems to be about Paul's rights and privileges. Should he, verse 4, be entitled to food and drink as he ministers? Should he, verse 5, be entitled to bring a believing wife with him as he ministers, just like the Lord's brothers did and like Cephas? Should he and Barnabas, verse 6, have to work for their living as they minister? And should he as he said previously, as an apostle, as someone who planted this church in Corinth, be entitled to support from them, support from those who who are the seal of his apostleship in the Lord. Now, the implied answer seems to be yes. Yes, as an apostle, he most certainly did have the right to receive monetary support from the churches he served. But the principle of monetary support is one which applies more broadly too. And in verses 7 to 14, he explains why preachers of the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. His first reason is derived from the realm of nature. Verse 7. The soldier is supplied by the army and enjoys the spoils of war. The planter enjoys eating the grapes from the vineyard. The farmer enjoys being nourished by the milk of the flock. 
And in each case, the compensation comes from within the work itself. And the same dynamic of internal compensation should supply those who labour within Christ's army, Christ's vineyard and Christ's flock. And Paul, Paul underscores the point with reference to Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4. Do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. Now, we might find that a strange way of handling a text from the Old Testament scriptures. What's an ox got to do with the price of fish? Is this a curious and occasional case of apostolic allegory? And anyway, wouldn't it have been better for Paul just to quote, you know, Deuteronomy 24, verses 14 to 15? Pay the hired man his wages each day before sunset because he's poor and needy. That seems to fit the bill of a gospel minister a bit better, doesn't it? <laughs> well, no. If we, if we just think and ponder about that quoted text a little bit more, it makes sense. We need to imagine a tough old ox working hard in the field. And imagine as he's treading out the grain, it's only natural that he enjoys having some of the grain to keep him going. So don't put a muzzle on the poor old hungry ox. And anyway, how much more does God care about us than about oxen? They might work in natural harvest fields, but we work in spiritual harvest fields. And so verse 10, when the ploughman ploughs and the thresher threshes, they ought to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. So that the place of the work provides for the worker. That's the norm that he's pointing to. And in fact, so pivotal was this principle that it undergirded the Old Testament ministry too. Verse 13, don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in what's offered on the altar? And the principle remains pivotal in New Covenant ministry as well. Remember those words of Jesus in Luke chapter 10 and other Gospels too. Luke chapter 10 in particular, I'll quote, the harvest is what? Well done, plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers into his harvest field. Now, do you know what he says just after that? He says, when you enter a house, stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. And that's what Paul's getting at in verse 14 of our passage, when he says, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel, should receive their living from the gospel. So Paul makes his point pretty thoroughly to the Corinthians and to us that it's right that workers in the harvest field should be supported by that very harvest. But before I move on, I want to call our attention to an important word in that last verse. And the word is living. Living. Living from or living off the gospel. In fact, for hundreds of years, the minister's support was actually referred to as their living. And around these parts of the ecclesiastical world today, we often call it a stipend. But the point's basically the same. Full-time ministers 
are not remunerated according to how many hours they work. That would be a wage. Rather, full-time ministers are paid enough so that their time is liberated for ministry, so that they don't need to work another job to support their family. Their living is supported so that their life can be devoted to preaching the gospel. It's a bit of a paradigm shift for what we're used to out there in the world. We're not paid for services rendered, we're financially freed up to serve our whole lives in gospel ministry. How good is that? In fact, how wonderful is it when a church gets that and supports a minister on that basis? It's a beautiful thing. Now, now this stipendary way of thinking about gospel ministry, it looks a bit different for part-time ministry. It raises good questions about how to think about work of spouses in the context of gospel ministry. And other things too, like retirement planning in expensive cities like Sydney. There's lots that could be said. But if one thing's obvious, it's that the right to receive a living from gospel ministry is not a recipe to receive riches. It shouldn't be a newsflash for you, but we don't enter the Christian ministry to fly around in private jets, wear Cartier watches, take extravagant holidays to Cancun, live in large and luxurious mansions. To put it plainly, we're more like Kia Carnival people, old beaten up <laughs> Kia Carnivals. And in fact, in some parts of the world, that would be a luxury. And so this is dependent on various other factors too. But the point is, gospel ministers just need enough to live and preach the gospel, not a lavish lifestyle. And the Apostle Paul was acutely conscious of this, so much so that he preferred to give up this right rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Thus, the second half of this passage is all about the freedom to forego this living allowance. Verse 15, he says, he has not used any of these rights and that he's not writing this in the hope that, they, that he'd receive financial support from them. He even says he'd prefer to die rather than be compelled to preach on account of some sort of financial ob obligations and expectations. Thus those wonderful words in verse 16. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If he's not remunerated, well then what's his reward? He says in verse 18, just this, that in preaching the gospel I may offer it free of charge and so not make use of my rights in preaching it. Now I love these verses, I suspect that you do too, they're they're beautifully inspirational gospel verses. They're uplifting, inspired, precious gems of Scripture. But we need to handle them with care because Paul's boast is not precisely our boast. We're not apostles. We didn't plant the Corinthian church. We're not defending ourselves against their judgments. And we're not boasting because we've preached free of charge to them. Paul's given up his right of remuneration in the context of Corinthian confusion. And yet, there are, I think, two principles from Paul which we ought to take on board. And they are these. 
Firstly, the gospel ministers are of necessity compelled to preach. Gospel preachers have got to preach the gospel. You know, just like apostle, the Apostle Paul might be exhibit A, you could turn to the Apostles Peter and John, exhibit B and C, who in the early pages of Acts declare, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. It's as if these early apostles simply could not not talk about Jesus. They'd been so transformed by the wonderful work of Jesus. They'd been so struck by their sin, so bowled over by God's amazing redeeming grace, knowing the sweetness of forgiveness, a clear conscience, no, no condemnation because of God's declaration of righteous. All by faith alone they know this. Do you know this? It's good. It's great. It doesn't get much better, actually. And so they've been transformed by that. So they were compelled to preach that to all and sundry. It's like an ir irrepressible magnet drawing out the name of Christ in the lips of his ministers. Some of us get excited about lots of things. Who won the, the footy on the weekend? Some of us love the West Wing. I've never watched an episode in my life. But some of us are a bit like that. Some of us are a bit like that with Taylor Swift and the recent, you know, whatever the latest Taylor Swift song is. Or and some of us are a bit like that with the 16th century reformers. <laughs> Tri trifling examples. Trifling examples. But we all know what gets us excited. Gospel ministers, we're like that with the gospel deep down, the base note of our ministry. It's on our lips. It animates our lives. Gospel ministers are compelled to preach the gospel. The second principle we learn from Paul is that gospel preachers should put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. The Apostle Paul was flexible enough to forego his right to remuneration. And this flexibility is a good example for us too. It's possible that in the course of our ministry, we might find ourselves in an analogous situation to Paul. Perhaps there might be some reason to forego some remuneration rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. You can imagine a situation um, where some kind of financial scandal's taken place within a church. For instance, I remember a story of a church warden caught embezzling church funds. And perhaps in such a situation, the rebuilding of trust requires some sort of decrease in a minister's stipend, all for the sake of the gospel. Or maybe a different set of circumstances, maybe where the church rectory is not up to diocesan standard. You might not have it all exactly the way you want. You might not have the office and find yourself, you know, having meetings in the kitchen or writing sermons on the kitchen table. You might not have as many bedrooms or as big bedrooms as you might like for your kids that perhaps some flexibility would be required rather than standing on one's rights. I think that growing up in Sydney makes it pretty easy to develop a sense of entitlement with such sorts of things. I say that from experience. You might have felt similarly, maybe even when you moved into college accommodation, lawyering up, I don't know. Entitlement can just weasel its way in slowly and subtly so it's worth examining your heart 
when it comes to ministry and money? How compelled are you to preach the gospel? What are you prepared to put up with rather than hinder the gospel? Two penetrating principles from the Apostle Paul, who was willing to sacrifice his rights and privileges for the sake of others, just as our Lord Jesus Christ likewise sacrificed his rights, his privileges and his very own precious life for us and for our salvation. That's the gospel we preach to others. Will we preach it to ourselves today?